Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. I absolutely love living in an urban environment. Most of the time I get around by walking, so I really shouldn't complain. Uh, okay, I, I know you're going to complain. Okay, it's it's the traffic and lousy parking. I mean, it's horrible, but you can't have it all, right? I'm sure you can. Save me your silly American excess. Get an electric trek. What the heck is an electric trek? It's a bike with an electric motor that can assist you when you want it to. I have one, and I think it is my urban assault vehicle. No hill will get in my way. A quick trip to the store, no need to get in the car. I ride over, put the contents of my waterproof saddlebag, and off I go. That sounds amazing. So uh, what's the downside? Well, really, it's just the drivers who presume the only thing that should be on the road are cars. It, it gets a little hairy when someone gets out of their car without looking and opens their car door right in your way. Ah, uh, got it. Nothing with the bike, though. No, no, no. The bike's awesome. Wear a helmet, though. I don't know. What about the helmet here? Yeah, you'll love it. But seriously, there are really, really clueless people out there. Get a helmet. Come to think of it, yeah, there are really, really clueless people out there. I can't wait to zip through Bondi Beach on my new trek. With the helmet? Yes, with a helmet. Chris Dominic. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Hey, Tom. It's a friend of the lab. Friend of the lab. <laughs> <laughs> You're such uh, an idiot. I know, oh I know. God. I just love any excuse to play that jingle. I know. So, <laughs> yes. So, what's up, Tom? What? It's early for you this time. I'm the one who's up late. Yeah, six, six in the morning. It's totally fine for me. It's the best part of the day. So, that's good. Yeah. Is this how you get ahead before everybody starts emailing? Well, you assume that I get ahead, but um, I do like to get up early. <laughs> <laughs> do have something to report, guys. Okay. You ready? Yeah, hit us. I have Pfizer number one in the body. Bugger me. Wow, how yep. you feeling? You know, it's funny. I was doing fine. And oh. then at one point, <laughs> and then at one point uh, about two, three hours in, I was like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I had to lie down. And then I woke up and I was in this really bad mood. Oh, and wow. I had all this anxiety. And I remember thinking, why am I, why am I worrying about these three things on my mind? I have like 99.9% .9 of my life is taken care of right now. I, I talked to another friend who had it. And of course, this is not a sign scientific sample. But I was like, how, how would it go? And she said, well, I got this Pfizer sample and I had the worst things. That's amazing. That's so cool. When do you get the next one? It's got to be 21 days out for Pfizer. If it's Moderna, it's like 28 days out. Okay. It's a little longer. Okay. They got this cool thing where you drive through the airport, roll up the sleeve. Uh, amazing. They use these little baby needles. So like you don't, you barely feel the darn thing. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Was that, sorry, at a, was that at Portland Airport? Portland Airport Seriously? in the red lot. In the red lot. You know, the yeah. long distance lot yeah. where you take the bus in? Yeah, that's yeah. They, they just took over the red lot and made Wow. You know, it's, it's, I, I got to tell you guys, it's been a while since you've seen America where like the government functions well. Oh, right. That actually has happened lately. Yeah, that's like, it's, cool. like, it's shocking. Like you pull up and everything seems to have been thought through and all the people that are there have a good attitude. It was, it was amazing. There was people who were like doing a little dance while they're pointing you where to go. Oh, that's of course, funny. That's, that's the Portland part. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 
you got to go over here. I love being a vaccine volunteer. Yeah. You know, like a, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah. a bunch of weirdos, uh, man. Yeah. Well, you know, we love them. Hey, we're, um, we're quirky. I, I wanted to ask Tom. So we've done, we do some things with a company in Paris and we know that Paris at least is in lockdown for the last week. They're going to be in lockdown for a full month. I think is that France wide? Are you in lockdown? Is that why it's so dark there? <laughs> It's it's dark here because it's so early in the day. The the lights, the lights, the electricity, everything still works despite being in a lockdown state, Jason. Right. <laughs> so lock, no, those two things aren't related. Okay, right. Oh god. I'm sorry. But you are in lockdown. We, well, it it's not a full lockdown. We can go outside. There's a curfew. So 7 p.m. curfew. Oh, okay. Oh, and wow. So okay. That's amazing. Are you guys having spikes? And- We're in the midst of a what they're calling third wave in southwest France. It's not that bad. The numbers aren't very good in Paris and the, and the sort of north, northeast or along the Belgian and German borders and Paris. It's pretty bad. Can I cheer you guys up with something competitive? Okay, Christopher. Okay. Since we all have uh, our Venn diagrams all overlap in business. Business, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hit you guys with the annoying business jargon quiz. Oh, this is good. Okay. So here's the deal. Tom, if you want to buzz in, you got to say Tom. And Jason, if you want to buzz in, you got to say Jason. And, and if you guys like tie, like I get to call it. Okay. That sounds good. It should be easy because Jason never gets it right. So I can just let him go and then go after him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so cruel, but so accurate. Tom's getting cocky because he's actually taught business classes at U of O. So so here we go. Number one, this particularly creepy phrase is used as a way to describe revealing protected information. Jason, open the kimono. Correct. Yes. Sorry. was a bit over the top. Oh, man. Okay. Number two. You know, Tom, you've had coffee. Come on. All right. Number two, this expression means unconventionally approaching a business problem. Unconventionally? Unconventionally approaching a business problem. Yeah, I'm not not sure I can do Ah, that. Something innovation. Think outside the box. Yeah, what a wank. I thought it was clever when I first saw the puzzle that was used, you know, where you had to draw the line outside. But that was in the 1990s. I was thinking too hard about that one. Yeah, Yeah. no, well, that's that's what our job is, is to think too hard about things. So here we go. Ready? Number three. Some jackass took a perfect math word and decided to use it to describe a suite of efficiency enhancing software. Oh, I'm going to be mad that I don't know this. Yeah. It's solution. Oh, oh. And I, when I, every time I hear somebody go, well, this particular solution, and I'm thinking, what the heck are you talking about? And they're talking about like a, basically a program, yeah. right? And it's like a winner. I, for me, that's always been like the marketing winner in a middle school branding class or something like that. It's just, do you know who that person is? Can we go back and punish them? <laughs> <laughs> Tom's going to go all, all mafia on the guy. <laughs> Okay, number four. This phrase gets used to mean total dedication, but it's impossible and silly. Is that? Oh, I have no idea, but I, I'm going to get really annoyed when I... Total dedication, but it's impossible and silly. Okay, it's giving 110%. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm way overthinking these questions. Number five. According to Forbes, unless your business is aquaculture, 
you should stop using this pretentious phrase to describe a collection of vendors, manufacturers, designers, and customers that define a... Per- Would that be ecosystem, Chris? <laughs> we want all. We got a tiebreaker? <laughs> nice work. Nice work, Tom. You know, when we're pitching this shutout, like a one, you know, the one run is going to do a lot. All right. All right. I got a bonus for, for you guys. Okay. All right. Here we go. Which bit of business jargon won the Forbes jargon madness bracket? <laughs> Where like people voted, yeah, pin off the dumb phrases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The middle. What's what's the one that won? Jason. Uh, the answer is unicorn. Uh, that is a really good guess, but it Damn. is wrong. Do you want to uh, you want to take that one? What's the dumbest thing you've ever heard somebody say in business jargon? Drink the Kool Aid. Yes, that is terrible. Isn't that awful? Yes, it's so bad. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's an expression means to, that means to blindly accept something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then even where, like robotic allegiance is bad enough. Right. Yeah. But then you come up with the most tactless, tasteless <laughs> way to say it. You know, the worst thing was when we moved to the States in 2004, someone said that and I had to actually look it up. I'm like, what's Kool-Aid? Is that like cordial? The, the problem is, is it it's it's an effective way to make the point. The problem is, is you probably ought to just work a little yeah. harder yeah. and and not actually reference that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just come on. So, guys, people are returning to work. They're going back. They're, uh-huh. they're, uh, let me tell you about a, a story. I got the other day. I was having a, a happy hour with some friends. Mm. One of the people on the Zoom call said to me, I'm telling people I haven't gotten my vaccine, so I don't have to go back into work. Wow. Oh, boy. Well, I, I don't blame her. Her point was, is I'm very productive, yeah. and my boss is arbitrarily calling me back into the office. Yeah. And I don't think I'm more effective in the office, but that's not really up for discussion. I thought, okay, we got to have a talk about this, because mm. the reality is that there's pros and cons of remote work and we've all learned probably what they are yeah. at this point. Yeah. But I don't get the impression that people are necessarily making rational choices about it. Absolutely. Yeah. They're just kind of going with whatever feels right. right. And Tom, you sent me a great article the other day about how difficult it is to develop younger people who are new to, to business, people who are new to their field. It's it's tough to develop people remotely. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Is the argument. Yeah. And it's an interesting set of questions and we could circle back on a, on a more philosophical point later, but that, you know, the article talks about how important building networks and relationships and getting the kind of experience you only get in face-to-face interactions and work settings early in your career has a huge impact on how you develop as a professional. And I think it's an interesting point to explore because I remember, you know, my first job, I was in my, you know, early twenties and there was a social dimension to interacting with my coworkers that was critical in, in sort of creating opportunities to talk about what you're seeing and learning and how you're working together over time. And it really does make a difference, I think. I think one of the other things that that we don't talk about enough, and, and I think we mentioned a little bit last time we spoke, is that it's impossible to hold people's attention in a virtual setting the way that you can in person. You, there's so many distractions. People say they're more productive at home, and, and there are arguments to be made there. But it's also, for a lot of the work I do, where you're working with other people who are in different places, 
cases, it's almost impossible to get more than 60 to 90 minutes of high quality time. And to do hard work, you need more you need more attention than that. And you really can't get it in a virtual work setting. So it, it's it, there are a lot of trade-offs there. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I, I'll tell you, my own experience is that working on virtual trials in particular, what I've found is that they can be very, very powerful. They can be very effective. But if you were taking too long to make your point before, you're really taking too long to make it now. Mm. Like like dead air in the virtual setting is brutal. Mm. It, it is two seconds in court of nothing is really honestly not a big deal. It's mm. just like I'm looking at my notes. Dun, dun, dun. For whatever reason, I think it's because there's this image right in front of you and it feels more like TV. Mm-hmm. Oh. That sucker is like, if I'm like just looking at you and I'm saying nothing. Mm. Okay, it's a, like, oh, a, oh a, God, a, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. You have to be more packaged. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a really interesting point. And I think one of the things I wonder about is, I think it depends on what you do and how you define productivity. That makes, that determines how you think about that question, yeah. right? Because I would say if it means people are plowing mm-hmm. through their emails and cranking stuff out, all that's doing for me is creating more clutter in my work uh, because I have to respond to more emails yeah. that normally get stressed out over a longer period of time and aren't as constantly churning around. But I, it, it does, to my way of thinking anyway, mm. it does shine a light on how, how each of us thinks about what work is and what productivity means. It's interesting. I mean, building on Tom's thing, particularly early career, if you think about someone who has just left university or is just early year of working, if that happened to be last year, and so their their feeling for what work is, is what, you know, the, the screen, That's that just kind of starts stepping you back and it sort of uh-huh. redefines what what is work? Oh, work is just here on Zoom. And, you know, I was talking to some university students yesterday and their first year at university was last year. Their sense of what university is, is, is this. It's very strange. Uh, this meeting, sorry, on Zoom. Right, so, right, right. Oh, and then you've got these, so then the expectations start getting set and hardwired and then what? what is it to be actually collegial? And, and also it's not just the work, it's the things around work. I mean, Chris, you said the other day that the virtual trials that you're doing are great, but are good in one way, but you miss that sort of after trial conversation yeah, and that's yeah. kind of a massive yeah. thing. And as humans, we're hardwired for relationship. We're hardwired. So yes. it's just, it is kind of freaky. Um, when Tom sent me the article, the first thing I thought, when I was a new professional, the way I learned what's really going on at yeah, work was yeah. after work yeah. with my colleagues <laughs> at the bar. Absolutely. True. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like somebody would say, what's the deal with like Joan? And somebody would say, well, Joan's doing this. And they, mm. Joan doesn't like it when you do this. And you'd learn what's really going on yeah. with Joan. Yeah. And then you'd be like, well, what about, I'll give you an example of, of a place where <laughs> I used to get these flame emails. This is like the late nineties at this mm. point from our CFO. And I would be like, this is so strange. He talks to me so normally. Mm. Why is he so mean on email? Like what's going on? So I was talking to somebody over a, over a Widmer Hefeweizen because it's the late nineties. And that's <laughs> you're still Portland. Yeah. Well, I haven't and, come uh, to Australia yet. <laughs> no, there was a lemon in it. Yeah. And you know, anyway, Citrusy. So, yeah. Like your favorite. I put this, I printed out the email that he wrote me after getting some advice from people that I went, you mm-hmm. know, and hung out with. And I walked into his office and I put it in front of him and I just said, can we talk about this? 
Mm. And it was such a fantastic conversation. If you respond to that dude in email, terrible idea. Like just the whole thing that worked was print out the email, walk down to his office, put it in front of him, talk mm. to him. That worked. Um, that I don't think I would have gotten that if I didn't go to the bar with my colleagues mm. after the day. Now, I don't know if people still do that. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe that's not a thing. It's de- it's definitely still a thing. And, you know, there, there are some things to be careful about when we, when we talk about it, because it can exclude people who have to go home for kids or other reasons, right? And and it tends to create stratification yes. in a workplace mm-hmm. that yes. you have to be careful about. But the quality of relationships that you build when you interact with each other, not just in a conference room, not just over a desk, but actually in a more social setting and in a completely different context, having drinks or lunch or, or even if it's doing something like running or cycling, you know, it just deepens the relationship, which is very important when you have to do mm-hmm. things that are are complex or um, start to create you know you're you're starting to work through issues where you might have conflicts or disagreements the quality of your relationship depends you know on your you know influences mm-hmm. your ability to get good results and you can't have high quality relationships over zoom you know everybody's talking about creating virtual water coolers and it you know I think what's interesting about it is yeah. I think that's really hard to do um, and it's extraordinarily difficult to do well and and it's such a simple thing yeah. to have in, in a office setting or or if you go out and, and have some drinks or a work lunch, a lunch or mm-hmm. something like that. I suppose there's the ultimate question, which is, you know, what really are the pros and cons here? Because I see all sorts of good things that come from virtual trials because they're 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 keeping justice from not just not happening. So so I'm I'm all happy about that. But then I heard the other day, for example, if you wear your sweats enough days in a row, your brain starts to actually think you're depressed, even if you're not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because if they're like, why? Are you why yeah. are you wearing the same mm. crappy clothes every day? Like mm. you're comfortable, but there's something wrong, right? Like there, you're not moving. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard. Have you guys heard that? No, but I can I can kind of identify with it. I definitely notice when I wear something other than jeans or the most comfortable clothes I have, and I put something that I would wear to go to work on. I notice that it's a different feeling, right? When you mm-hmm. actually get yeah. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've I've been actually traveling for work, and I've actually had to throw on a jacket, do business like the old times and get on a plane and, and get in a cab and all that. There's something about the structure yeah. that that is calming or comforting or reduces the noise in your brain. Because it's like, oh, yeah, it's business time. Yeah. I'm getting stuff done. It, you, it helps your brain kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, well, it signals. It's interesting that is that debate in academia about structure and agency. Like, do are we a function? Are we a product of the kind of society we live in or do we as individuals have agency and so i think the real answer is they recursively related and so when you start dressing like you're you know and and that move to the airport and the checking in it's like all that familiarity comes in and it's almost like oh now i know what i know what to expect i know what's coming next and that maybe Mm -hmm. calms one's mind down as opposed to wow, I've been in sweats for 12 days now and I'm meant to be working and this is work on the kitchen table. <laughs> and I, I got to say, you know, because we don't want to do any false dichotomies. I think that we've been incredibly productive on Zoom and I don't want to knock it, but I also can tell, for example, like when I when I was getting ready to go travel for the first time, I, I was out of travel shape. Mm. I used to be able to get ready to go on a trip without thinking. I would just go to the closet, grab things, not know what I did yes. and show up with everything. It took 
me an hour and a half to pack. Mm. It, it was a completely different experience. Let's just create a scenario which in 12 months from now, things are as back to normal as they could be. And people are by and large have the freedom, whether through as a company or organization or as an individual, they have the ability to go back to working and a normal, if you define normal as going to your workplace every day kind of situation. And I think people, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be able to do some studies over time and, and you will see that some things are significantly enhanced by being back to that sort of normal way, old way of working. And other things are going to be challenging. But, you know, one of the things we always have to remember is that people are going to surprise us. And they're, again, I think this cuts both ways. Young people are often criticized by boomers as being entitled employees because they have high expectations. And of course, the, the, the response to that is what's wrong with high expectations? Shouldn't we as yeah. organizations treat people well? Sure. Shouldn't we create a work environment that's rich and rewarding and not just productive and efficient? You can see it right. starting to bubble up. It's like young people aren't tied to their job or their employer at anywhere near the level that you know yeah. our generation has been. And so people move more and they change jobs more. And so I think on the one hand, people are probably struggling to do everything that they could have done in this environment. But on the other hand, they probably are asking themselves questions of what do I value? How do I value my professional? Yeah, I think that's right. I think the trouble that I've got is I've heard people talk as if, I'll give you an example. The two terms we used to use back in my management consulting days were like when you knew your culture had gone too far to one side or the other mm-hmm. was, uh, so we're an easygoing, good chatting, communicative bunch we trust each other, we delegate, you know, all good stuff. But every once in a while, it would get too much. And that that group became what we called the country club. Oh, that's funny. The country yeah. club was not good, yeah. okay? Like the country club was was not, like they had deluded themselves into believing they were still actually like functioning in business and they yeah. weren't. That's funny. They were like working a few hours a day and having a good time. And that got too much. Now, there's the other one, right? Where you're like, okay, let's work hard. Let's be efficient. Let's focus on business. Those groups maybe are not, they don't blend work and pleasure very much. They might be a little more old school in terms of the, the way they see pro- professionalism, we called that group the sweatshop. Mm -hmm. And we always argued that, okay, that's gone too far. These guys don't have a culture. They like just basically all work and that, and they don't even know each other really. (laughs) (laughs) That's good jargon. I like that. One of the things I I saw this last week that was quite interesting. And when, when you reached out, I kept it just as a flag to sort of talk about is Herman Miller has come out with what they're basically calling a post lockdown design of office equipment and furniture. And so what what they're what they've tried to do is recognize that for a lot of the modern workspaces, open office and all that kind of stuff, it's really become kind of terrible for people. And they're all jammed in these, you know, it's like a human feedlot in an office. And what they've done is tried to design workspaces now that give you the balance of you have your own space but you're not in an office with your own walls, you know, it's an, so it's more efficient, et cetera. But it'll be interesting to see how people respond to, you know, coming back into a social work environment. Maybe normal actually sucked and we want something better. And, and ex- how expectations get translated, it will be quite interesting as people come back into that setting. One of the people I worked with said, one of the things we should be thinking about is, 
people will still work remote quite a lot, but they need to come together. That's different than a normal office setting, right? It's almost more like a hotel setting where you come in and you have this high intensity two days, and then you have three days you're working at home. I think that's, I think that is really likely. I think the Mm -hmm. hybrid approach makes the most sense because there are some things that you can't unlearn from what we just went through. There are a lot of really good benefits of, of remote work, but there are times when you got to get together. You just do. As a communication guy, this is one of the things that is the most annoying to me. There are times to send an email to people Mm -hmm. and there are times to call them and there's times to set up a meeting. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Guess what happens for most people? Everything's on an email. You don't have good conversations on email. Mm. Uh, Emails are good, let's meet at this time, Mm. or here's what the plan is, Mm. or whatever. Emails are not a place to go have a conversation because each one's separate, right? Yep. So like your email blows up because you're having this thing. And by the way, I've timed this. The amount of time it takes to have a conversation on email compared to a phone call, unbelievable. It is funny, the attachment to email and every now and then some wise person says, get off the email and give them a call. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> is it just me or is it seems like there is this thing where people are like, I just I don't know why it's hard for me to pick up the phone, but I just can't pick up the phone. Some people really don't want to pick up the damn phone. Well, it's, yeah. it requires full presence and intention and language. Yeah. And it's so funny that we have mobile phones, but there's so much. If you look at the usage of a mobile phone, you could call it lots of things, but a phone, it's probably like the 20th thing it's used for. You know what? Just think about that. It's like so wrong. It's It's like like your little personal assistant now, right? It's it's like your personal assistant who if you, maybe you use it as a phone Hmm. once every week. It's absolutely true. And that, you know, there are a lot of factors. You know, I think one of the things about calling somebody nowadays is we've been reinforced in our minds that people don't answer your call. So you don't call. Yeah. And that's interesting. Especially true with more, I think with more senior people in a work context who largely spend their days in back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings, management meetings or or what have you. So it's really hard to get people. So it's a tricky one, but, you know, I still bring up one of the the best stories in my career, and this was like, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago was, and I had just come into a brand new brand new job, brand new organization. And one of the first things I saw was an email from a very senior person in the organization I hadn't met yet on a very difficult topic. And that person was quite unhappy with being asked by somebody who was going to be one of my employees um, to have a conversation about a topic that they didn't want to have a conversation about. And instead of, you know, the first thing I thought about was, I'm just going to call that person. (laughs) Because trying to respond in an email would have would have been a terrible way to try to turn that person around. And and it's a great story because it reinforces the value of mm. not falling into the trap of responding in kind versus changing the way that you're talking. Oh, yeah. I have a, a good friend who would be in a position where it was time for him to lobby, basically, mm. other people to try and get support for a position, and he would do it with email. And at one point, I said to him, man, I, I understand that you're a better writer than you are a speaker. That I get it, but that is not how you move people. Like, oh, it's hard. It's hey, it's late for me, guys. It's, okay. it's earlier for you. <laughs> I know I was thinking the the logistics of getting getting ready the costuming involved in mm. getting mm. prepared and actually commuting into a space like I'm just so much more aware of time and going oh man yeah. that's a bus and a train I 
I've lost 35 minutes, so I could just do that here, couldn't I? That's yes. one of the things in the back of my mind. Yeah. I think that's a real issue. I think mm. I think what's going to happen is the trade-off will be you'll be thinking to yourself, okay, what's the commute like? Mm. All right, what are the what's the benefit I get of showing up in person? Yeah. If you need to close a deal, you're going to show up in person. I mean, you just are. If, if it's a conversation about if it's information, if it's mm. a str- strategic planning, you probably don't. And you know these people already. You probably don't need to do that. Yeah. But if you're like, look, I need to persuade you of this. and I need to get this deal done. Mm. I just don't see how you don't show up. Yeah. We have a partner in Belgium. And so we would have gone to Belgium maybe three or four or five times. And we knew it was crucial to do that. Well, that partnership's continued and grown. But in the last year, it's been all Zoom. And it's just been so different. It's extraordinary. To me, the thing that will, that I have enjoyed is that some of the quality of time that you can have while being at home. So I just sit and look out the window at the park. And mm-hmm. if I want to take the dogs for a quick walk, it's just right there. You know, it's very simple. And and that's a that's a good thing for my well-being as a, as a worker, not just you know, walking the dogs, it's actually good for you to go get some fresh air, take a 20 minute break, what have you. But I think the thing that we don't pay enough attention to is the cost of constantly being at home in the quality of our relationships. And and that's both professional relationships and personal relationships. You think about the impact it has on your significant other to be in your presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including when you're distracted by you're you're stirred up, agitated, unhappy, etc. So they're getting all of that that they never see in a norm, you know, in another context where you're you're at work. They don't see that, and now they see that to some degree, and you just get tired of each other's energy if it, if that's the only input of energy you get. Everybody needs a little bit of space, and it's really hard in this situation, right? I think the the reality. Is- is if we could find a way to have a little remote time and then strategically get together when we need to get together, that seems to be what we're, what would be ideal. I think the mistake that's going to get made is people are going to just set arbitrary black and white rules. Yes. It's just going to be like, I believe you need to come yeah. to the office. Mm. Okay. Well, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? Or I believe we're a remote work environment. We never should meet together ever again. Well, that's probably dumb too. I mean, yeah. So, so many things in life are dumb when you just make them all inclusive. Like, like this is a black and white thing, and they'll mm. always be true this way. And we won't consider the situation, and we won't think about why we're doing what we're doing. We're just going to do this because this is the rule. Yeah, that's the thing. And Gen Z is not going to put up with that stuff. Like, that's the. I thing. think you're right. That's why the millennials are like, no, go away. This is ridiculous. They're like, explain to me why we're doing this. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like, well, I don't have a reason. I just want consistency. Yeah. It's easier. It's easier to manage you when you come. Yeah. I think it's a human instinct, but I think we've, in our particular construct of, you know, sort of Western democracy, I'll include, I'll include Australia in that, Jason, is we place such an emphasis on being certain and definitive rather than recognizing that the question is more important than the answer. And, we should always be open to the fact that we're never going to be right and that when things surprise us they should be able to they should be able to make things better yeah and you should just plan on the fact that we're going to be wrong a lot like i mean that's whole that's the whole journey right but, but i just i think people can't we can't cope with it at some dna level like we just constantly want certainty and we realize that it's such a flawed strategy because these black swan moments there's a lot of black swans out mm-hmm. there like half the flock is black <laughs> But it is, right? 
I just find it so, oh, it was a Black Swan event. It actually wasn't. The pandemic wasn't that Black Swan-ish. I mean, I think it's a really good point. And for whatever reason, we don't want to accept how incredibly driven by a sense of certainty and removing uncertainty Mm. is a big part of Mm. our motivation on a daily basis. No doubt. Yeah. Anyway. It's a myth of a leader. I need to be decisive. I need to be strong. I need to be definitive. And and really, in many constructs, leadership really means here's our challenge. No one is ever going to know exactly what to do. So we have to build in our collective the ability to respond in intelligent ways and build intelligence as we go because we don't know the answers. Let's just focus on that. And yeah. and that's a very hard thing. We've not, yeah. our generation has been trained the opposite of that. And I think the more that we can build that way of thinking into how we help younger professionals emerge, you don't have to have answers. Be really interested in questions and that will make your work interesting. And with that... Everybody, thanks for all those five-star reviews. You're awesome. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time. time.